This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This is Rika Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I am talking to someone who's done a lot of podcasting himself. His name is Bill Simmons. He ran, co-founded, founded The Ringer, which he's now sold to Spotify. Welcome, Bill. Good to be here. Long time no talk. It's been a while. We check in every couple years because I'm curious about you and your career and you've moved from being an internet writer to a podcast guy and, and now beyond. Um, we we're just doing the math. You've done a thousand podcasts of, the, of your main podcast since 2015 when you started The Ringer? Yeah, we launched um, October 1st was the first day I could start doing Ringer stuff after my ESPN deal expired. And uh, that was when the BS podcast launched. So yeah, initially, and I was trying to juggle it because I had the HBO show going. So we were probably like once or twice a week early. But then after the HBO show really went to three times a week from the beginning of 2017 on. So, so um, like I like I said, I, I, I we talk every couple years, and I was going back and looking at our old conversations, and the theme for a lot of them was like, is podcasting going to be a thing? Or podcasting's a thing, but is it going to be a business? Or it should be a business, but it's not a business yet. You sold your company for about two hundred million dollars a couple of years ago, so it seems like it's a business. Two fifty. Two fifty. Got the yeah. number right. That, for some reason, that number keeps getting reported around. But yeah, it was okay. It's in filings. I can look it up again. Yeah, I remember seeing you in twenty nineteen, right after Gimlet had sold to Spotify for two thirty. I think the number was or around two hundred. And you said, that's not a real number, right? And I'm like, yeah, no, it's a real number. You're like, no, no, that's got to be like when you pay a quarterback $100 million, but you know, only 10 of it's guaranteed. And I could see the gears going in your head. And then a year later, you sold. I want to ask you about that process. But first, I'm going to just talk about podcasting. Um, yeah. You started this, I think, back in 2007 when you were doing it? Yeah, it was May 2007. And it was just, it seemed more like radio on demand. I didn't even really understand what a podcast was. But I remember, I mean, we have a couple interviews from back then where I'm glad they exist because I we felt pretty strongly when we launched Grantland in 2011, podcasts were going to be a big piece of it. And we felt, I felt like I had had enough success with mine at that point that I really felt like it could be a huge asset for kind of this digital multimedia site we were trying to build, right? And um, ESPN didn't recognize that, which ironically became, a, I think, a big source of the tension with us. Like we've talked about in the past, I'll keep referencing old stuff, but but it takes a while for the media business advertisers to catch on to sort of where people are going. You're seeing that right now with TikTok, which is huge, but like yeah. severely under-monetized. Before it became a business, when did you figure out, oh, this is a thing that a lot of people are listening to and a lot more people are going to listen to, and it, th this is meaningful to me and my audience? You know, the first two years, I would say it was more like fun and just an extra thing because I, I was at that stage where I, I would try everything. I was always trying to add something, you know, and I, I think 2006, I signed a new deal at the beginning of 2007, and I was really motivated to try to branch out beyond just my column. And I, and I was really focused on what else can I add? What else can I do? What chances can I take? Things like that. And the podcast thing always seemed like just a fun wrinkle because people could hear me. It was on demand. I liked the technology of it. 
But it wasn't really till 09, I think people's celebrities started asking to come on. People started mentioning it to me on the street that, you know, they instead of saying love the column, they would say love the podcast. So I, I, I thought that was interesting. And then I, I've talked about this before, but there was this moment, it was some All Star weekend in Phoenix. I can't remember uh, what year it was, but um, this jogger was jogging back to the hotel and I was waiting for the Uber and he was pointing to his headphones. He was like, I'm listening to you. And, it just felt like something was happening. And the more I talked to people about how they consumed it, I realized like it was like on their commutes, it was when they were working out, when they were jogging, um, when they were at work and just they put something on. And that was when I thought, all right, there this this is bigger than just radio on demand. How is your approach to to what the podcast is and how you do it and who you're making it for changed, if at all? I think it's become a little more reactive. I think I look back at the ESPN stuff and the celebrities were a huge advantage for me back then because there weren't a lot of podcasts. The people, I was really just competing against Mark Marin and and that that was it. And we were always like, it was always me and him getting the best guests. If you and, wanted a long form interview with someone interesting, yeah. you go to you. And we were also getting people, it was like the, the first time, it was like being on a first date with people they had like never done a podcast before. So over and over again, I would have these people who'd come on and we would just have these wide ranging conversations and they just loved it. I remember even, and that was going even near the end of ESPN. I remember like in 2015, we were at South by Southwest and we just had a bunch of guests coming on for, yeah. you know, six, seven straight hours. And one of the people was Brian Grazer, the Hollywood producer. And he didn't know what was going on. He's like, what is this? Is it, we're doing an interview? Is, are people going to hear this? So we did it and talked about his whole career. I didn't have notes. I'm going through all his movies. And afterwards, he was just like, that was so much fun. I can't, you know, I think that's gone in 2022. I feel like anybody who was ever going to be a guest on a podcast would have done a podcast by now. Mm -hmm. You'll still have like, like I, I went to Sandler's office a couple weeks ago and I did one with him. He keeps a very low profile, right? He's only been, I think, on a couple pods and yeah. We were able to have a kind of an old school conversation about his career in comedy, where things are going. But now I feel like for how my pod has changed, I think the guest piece is probably a little less interesting because they're so available on so many different pods. And what's more interesting now is something just happened. How can we react? Can I have the best people on? Can I have the the smartest take? The the you know, the just being in the mix more versus I mean, remember Sal and I on Mondays we used to tape on the NFL pod, I would guess the lines we would do Monday at like, I don't know, one o'clock in the afternoon. Like the Sunday games had happened almost 24 hours before and we didn't care. But now you can't do that. So now the Celtics play and you get on that night and record an hour or two hours or more of analysis of the game. And that goes up almost right away. Yeah. I mean, I mean, my wife doesn't love it, but you know, it's, you want to be in the mix. I, I think things move so fast now. And that's one of the things that has changed since. 07, 08, 09 is just the speed that people react and consume. And that's a big thing we think about with The Ringer is being there in the moment. And I don't know if I've told this story, but they, we had this seminal moment. It was the, the, the day Kyrie Irving got traded to the Celtics. We were having an NBA meeting at the office and it was in LA and we flew all of our NBA people there and we were actually just meeting and spitballing for the season and spitballing ideas. And then the trade happened and the way we reacted, it felt like a moment for us where we had a couple people ran off to write quick pieces for the website, right? I went to do an instant reaction pod that we filmed 
And then we had, I think somebody else was doing another pod. And within like three, four hours, we had covered it in a couple different ways. And I think that we all looked at each other and was like, this is kind of what our site is. Because, you know, we spent probably two years trying to figure out how is this site different than Grantland. And also for our audience, our audience was trying to figure out why is, I love Grantland. Why why would I like this? Prove to me I should like this. So even though the internet, a lot of it's about on demand and get it when you want it on your own time and podcasts, especially, I mean, people will listen to stuff I do, you know, six months after I record it. I'm sure this is yep. for you. Um, you like the idea of, of almost closer to like old time TV and radio where it's this thing just happened. We're going to talk to you about it. For some of the stuff, I, I think we have a good mix of everything, right? Like we we talk a lot about stuff that podcasts that can live on and be listened to much later. That's why the rewatchables I think is probably our most successful library podcast. That's where you're people, literally talking about old movies. <laughs> right. And people can go back and, you know, we might get a new fan for a rewatchables pod and they might be like, all right, I want more. What else have they done? Well, we've done 250 movies at this point. And it's like your favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. Great. We did that in September, 2018. So I think having a mix of really smart, high end stuff, Ringerverse is a good example, right? Ringerverse is a podcast I'm really proud of because I felt like we were about a year earlier than everybody else, how we were thinking Explain about it. Explain what that is to people who haven't listened to it. So Ringerverse is a nerd culture podcast, right? It's covering Marvel, it's covering Star Wars, it's covering um, Stranger Things, stuff like that. And you go back to the Grantland days, Grantland was sports and pop culture thrown together, which in 2011, people were like, what the fuck is this? Why are you going to do pop culture if it's a sports? Why is this yep. on ESPN? We took so much shit for that the first year. The Ringer was a little more easier to do, but I think pop culture has expanded in a way that we looked at it, how we evolved as this, I swear this is going to tie back to Ringerverse. How we evolved is you're trying to cover everything and you realize you can't cover everything. So by about, I would say 2019, 2020, we started to gravitate toward what are we the best at? What are the pieces of turf that we can either be the best at or one of the best at? And for us, it was basketball and it was football. It was movies and music and TV. And then, you know, special one-off stuff, with which is really smart people talking about something that they had real expertise in. And that, that was kind of became what we are, you know? And I think for Ringerverse, we were looking at pop culture. We had Binge Mode, which was the biggest Game of Thrones podcast, right? And that was a pop culture podcast, but it was a little more than that. It was kind of represented what we wanted The Ringer to be, which was like the smartest people at the bar, deep dive, expertise, and that was and literally going over every episode of of uh, Game of Thrones. However, every many. episode of Game of Thrones obsessively with yeah. with Jason and Mallory, who were just obsessed with the show and were the biggest experts of the world on it, and. Our feeling which you, was, which you would think people would say, don't do that. No one wants to sit through and listen to 70 podcasts about a TV show. Right. Just but do we six knew, smart ones. We knew that, first of all, we knew that show for us was like the NBA. And we knew that people not only wanted to learn more about the shows, the new episodes, but they wanted to go back, rewatch the episodes with a better understanding of what happened. So the Ringerverse, we saw this nerd culture thing it's like a vertical for us basically it was more than pop culture it didn't just fit into tv and movies it was actually its own universe and that's what we try to create with that podcast where it's like every time there's a marvel movie every time there's a star wars movie or show anytime there's a new stranger things season whatever we are going to be reacting to that we are going to have the best deep dive stuff so you look at like something like uh 
I don't know, pick a Marvel movie. We have the Midnight Boys, Van and Charles. They'll watch the movie. They're going to do the instant reaction. I just watched it. This is what happened. And then we'll have the deeper dive pod later in the week with Mallory and Joanna, House of R. And that's the one where they just go all in on this stuff. So we have something for everybody. And I, I think to me, that's what we did with that podcast is a good example of how we think about stuff. How much that is instinct versus we're looking at numbers and this is performing really well. Let's do a lot more of that. And we thought this was going to work, but turns out there's no audience for this show or that movie. So let's quit it. I, I would say it's like 90% instinct. We have instinct and feel because we have this advantage. And a lot of it stems from the site, from Grantland and then The Ringer. What do people care about? You know, we it, and it's not just about TV ratings or whatever. It's you just have a general feel for like people care about this. We should be there, you know. And I think for us, we think about that a lot. Like we relaunched the the Prestige TV podcast that we relaunched last year, which has been successful for us. One of the reasons we launched that was because we just felt like Succession was a thing. It wasn't just like a good HBO show. We felt like it was going to go up a level. We could see it anecdotally with people we talked to, how it was being written about, people catching up on it during the pandemic. And we knew season three was coming. And to us, that was that we looked at it the same way as we would with like the NFL draft or the NBA playoffs or any of that stuff is we need to be there. So how are we going to be there? Well, we need to feed. We need to react to the episodes. We need to go back over old episodes. We need deep dive stuff in the middle of the week, and we just need to be all in on the show. But it's not a one-to-one with audience, right? Because there's, I talk about this all the time, like Big Bang Theory when it was on was the biggest thing on TV, and no one ever talked about it in, in the world that I would spend on online. You guys don't, I don't think, devoted any time to it. Yellowstone yeah, that's fair. is this huge show. And I think you guys- We did Yellowstone. Episodes, but yeah, you're, not, did you're, Yellowstone. Not, you're not blowing it out. Like It's got a much bigger audience than Succession. You guys spend way more time on Succession. It seems like that's part just your personal interest and part like you, there's an audience that that will respond to it and maybe won't for Yellowstone. Well, it's a huge show. I mean, that always helps. It was yeah. like, I don't know, probably 15 million by the time everybody caught up on it. Um, but it also, it was the most fun show to talk about, you know? And I think that one of the things that bums us out, like we were just talking about this with Stranger Things. And I think Netflix has made such a mistake. The binge model is fine with certain shows. Like if it's Outer yep. Banks, I get it. My daughter's going to watch want to watch all the Outer Banks in a row. That's not like a great show, but it's a fun show and you just want to keep going. Stranger Things, they blew it because, you know, for us, if they had just put out two episodes and then one a week after that, we would have gotten eight weeks of content, discourse, writing, everything. Yep. We would have treated that show like it was the NBA playoffs. And instead it's gone in a week. I hear you guys say that all the time, and I get it. And out of your self-interest, right? It makes sense. You'd like to have eight weeks of content instead of a week. I do wonder if, if and Netflix obviously is rethinking a lot of what they're doing. I do think that maybe like their their aims and your aims don't quite converge, right? Yes, you'd give them free publicity for eight weeks, but if they can satisfy every my sons in middle school, everyone in his school watched it in the first week, they're all totally happy they watched it. I don't think they'd be any happier if they stretched it out over eight weeks. You would be. It's funny. I completely disagree. I think Netflix has so few kind of water cooler hits at this point mm -hmm. for them to be able to stretch one out for eight weeks. Like just look at the difference with succession on HBO. Look at a show like winning time. I think if, if winning time was a Netflix show and they just dropped it all at once, I think that show dies. I think people, a lot of people would have watched one episode or two and that would have been it. But because it was on every week, I know, I know people in my life who just gave it a second chance or a third chance, whatever. Stranger Things, 
to me, it's like, can you own the narrative? And for them, they're competing against all this other stuff that's coming out, right? Like within a week, Top Gun's in there too. And, you know, you're competing for eyeballs and attention. And I think that shows specifically with all the theories and the conspiracy stuff and all the stuff that comes out, you almost need a week to digest each episode and be like, what did this mean? Where is this going? What's that? That's part of experiencing the show. I just think they blew it. I want to ask you more about the, the show you're making. Has your approach to sort of how you talk, what you talk about changed? When you started podcasting, you were like kind of well-known internet guy for nerds like me. Um, obviously, your profile's gotten bigger and bigger. Um, it seems like you're kind of Kind of well-known. Come on. I was doing better than that. You were you were well-known, but you're well-known to have your own podcast, right? But like, yeah. you, you weren't Bill Simmons in 2022. It seems like now you're much more conscious of the fact that stuff you say is going to get picked up, that people are going to respond to it. Yeah, yeah. Is that an inhibitor for you? Like, I don't want to say this. So this, this is going to get blown out of proportion. No, it's just something you're conscious of. To me, it's like, we talk about this with some of our talent. Like, it's the price of having a platform in 2022, right? You have to be ready for, like if you're an NBA writer and you say, I don't know, I heard one of the Suns had COVID before game seven, which was a story that was reported, right? It was yeah. a story all the NBA people knew, but everybody was kind of afraid to be the first one to write it, but everybody knew there was some sort of COVID thing with the Suns. Throw that on a podcast, it's gonna get aggregated, you know? And, and I think for us to balance and, I, I'm not complaining about this. This is just a reality. I mean, being aggregated is good for you, right? It's directing more people to you. Yeah, nah. I Sometimes, yes and no. It depends. Like, are they taking stuff out of context that you said? I think podcasts have a specific nuance. So I think our goal with the podcast is we want to sound conversational. We want, like, this podcast right now, we want yep. it to sound like you and I are sitting at some, I don't know, some restaurant and we're shooting the shit about. That's That would ultimately be your goal, right? If I'm talking basketball with two people that work for us and we all love basketball, you want it to be conversational. You want it to bounce back and forth. So you're going to lower your inhibitors a little bit. But I think the difference is if you're going to if you're going to throw stuff out on a podcast that actually might make news, you just have to think about it for a split second. But I also think with Zooms, with Twitter, with everything else, I think people have this natural mechanism now that they'll at least hold on for a split second. 2008, 2009, you go back to those days, man, people, they there were no repercussions or you didn't know about the repercussions really for anything. So you look back at some of the tweets from back then, all that, it's just that stuff's out there and nobody realizes the screenshot error is coming. So you, like off the top of your head, I think, like said something about Jalen Green is a, a rookie for the, the Rockets. Yeah, that was, that was that the funniest thing. And, and, yeah. and Draymond, Draymond Green's taking you on and, and Instagram. Is that funny to you? Is that awkward? Are you okay with that? That one was funny because I knew the facts were completely on my side. So, and I, you know, when it's going to start snowballing. When somebody's, and in that case, it was the Houston fans. They're like, they're grabbing this, they're screaming, he, he said, fuck Jalen Green. And I was like, all right, you can go back and listen to the conversation. It was really, we were trying to make each other laugh. I was talking about how much I loved this guy, Herb Jones in New Orleans and how I voted for him over Jalen Green. I was like, fuck Jalen Green. And I knew the facts were on my side, but ultimately the best way for that to play out was I just had Jalen Green on my podcast because he's a good guy. I think he's really talented and we had a good conversation and you know, I think, I think when the facts are on your side, it's better. I think when if if you say something, you know, um, that starts a news story that you just didn't intend it to happen that way, that's a little different. 
there's a mode of that, as you know, the stems from talk radio and then the internet's really expanded on that of, of yeah. stirring shit intentionally because you want attention. Do you ever feel yourself tending that way? Like, I'm going to I'm going to piss somebody off. Watch this. I like when it's quiet. Those are my favorite times because I've been doing this. I don't know. This is my third decade now as a national person. I'm just trying to do good stuff. Trying to consistently be a little ahead of the curve. And I like when nobody's talking. That's why I don't do a lot of interviews. I mean, I, we didn't, when was the last time we did an interview? I don't know if I've done a real interview about like how well the ringer's doing or yeah. any of that stuff. I just don't do that stuff. I don't, I know if we're doing well. I have an inner circle. We talk all the time. We really care about this stuff. We really care about the quality of the work we're doing, who we're bringing in, the culture that, you know, that we've tried to build. And that's what we care about. I don't care what other people say about us. We'll be right back after a word from these sponsors. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. And we're back. You've done TV a few times. You were on ESPN back in the day. Then you had the HBO yeah. show. It's briefly lived. Any desire to scratch that itch again? You're making a lot of TV for HBO. You're making movies and, and docs. Do you ever want to be on camera again? The Ringer film stuff has been... That's I've spent a lot of time on that. And I do feel like we've created something really cool. Like I think we're a player in that space. From the TV side... I just didn't like it that much. I really like what we're doing with this stuff more. I've had some offers and some feelers and things like that. I look back at what happened with the show and- This is your HBO show? Yeah, there's a million things I would do differently, but ultimately I went into that show with the mindset of these interviews I'm doing on my podcast are really hitting. People love them. This should work as a TV show. But the reality is podcasts have replaced shows like that. And by 2017, I realized it. Like, I remember I had Kevin Durant on the first time we did it in in March. It was like probably like three, four shows after my show got canceled. And we went to this restaurant. We just talked for like an hour and 20 minutes. And now a lot of players are doing stuff and it, it feels way more normal than it did, I think, in 2017. And just players hear, have their own podcast. Yeah, players have their own pods. Players are popping on other pods, all that stuff. Back then, it didn't feel as normal to just have one of the best players in the world sit down for an hour and 20 minutes and just record it. And we ended up doing, I think, six. But but that first one, that was when I realized, like, this is just better than, like, we could have edited this. Because I had had him on my TV show. We did a really good segment, me, him, and Nas. We had edited it into, I don't know, 12 minutes. But we went for, like, 40. And the 40 raw minutes were better than the 12 edited minutes. So stuff like that that just made me think, what is the upside at this point of a TV interview show versus a podcast? And I'm not a comedian. Like, I'm not Bill Maher. I can't come out and do a monologue, things like that. Playing off other people was always going to be how the show succeeded or failed. And I think, you know, just look at all the talk shows that have launched. Bellany did a podcast about this a couple of weeks ago. Like, um, all the streamers have tried them. All these different ones. I think the last show, maybe the last late night show that launched successfully was Corden. Is it possible? Did he launch after after uh, John Oliver? Yeah, but John Oliver's not a talk show. John Oliver is, you know, a content show. So, 
but think about how many successful pods have launched with huge audiences and they're on demand. I think the future for us with Spotify, um, and this is something we've, you know, I, we're, we're involved a lot with at this point. It's just, what is the video player for them on their app? It's a huge differentiator. They have to, we have to get that to the point that that basically becomes TV on your phone on the Spotify app. And that's something nobody else has. And we know it. Like we have Rogan and we have, um, Alex Cooper and some other people, we have higher learnings on there. Um, to be able to see what you're watching, that's what people under 25 want. My son doesn't want to listen to anything. He wants to watch what he's listening to. Right. So is there a middle ground for you where, I mean, I know obviously you're focused on audio, but where you just say, look, we're also, I mean, you do film it. You don't film all of them, right? We just go, this is this is our TV. This is, a, if you want to watch this for 40 minutes, you want to listen to this 40 minutes, you pick. Yes. And that was one of the reasons we went to Spotify, ironically. We... We did a lot of this. Um, we did it at Grantland, and then we did it at The Ringer. We built in Grantland. We had an electrical closet that was turned into a video studio, yeah. and we tried to do a bunch of that stuff. And we had some real success. I, I mean, uh, the stuff me and Jalen did it really did well, and I think it helped elevate Grantland. Um, and we had some other stuff too. The Ringer, same thing. We had two studios. Our thought when we were joining Spotify was like. They're building this billion-dollar compound in downtown LA. It's going to have all the state-of-the-art stuff. This will take us to a whole another level. A show like Higher Learning was conceived as a TV podcast, you know. And we we started talking to them about that. I don't know, January, um, maybe December, January 2020. I can't even remember. It was before the pandemic, and we we're going to be in a studio. It was be twice a week. We'd have big guests, and when we launched the podcast in I think May, it was a Zoom show. You know, so I, I think now that stuff's ending, we're really trying to gravitate toward how can we get people in a room? What's the best place for this? And, um, you know, I think for us, it's, it's, I always use the word malleable probably too much, but we just, it, it dates back to the Grantland days. Like, how can you be malleable? How can you have a bunch of things going? How do you, how can you offer a bunch of things that different people might want? Like, somebody like my son likes watching the YouTube clips of my podcast. They're short. They're like seven, eight minutes, but that's what he watches. He doesn't listen to my podcast. So how do we get all types of people? And then how do you battle in the TikTok era when everyone under 22 basically is just staring at their phone and you have to win their attention in two seconds? And that's the next generation of consumers for us. Are they going to even listen to podcasts? It's kind of scary. Does that excite you trying to figure out how to reach a, a 12 year olds on TikTok? Or do you go, you know what? That's going to be someone else's problem. Someone else figures this out. I'm going to do what I'm good at. Well, for the ringer, probably not as big of a problem, but for Spotify, it's something that I think behind the scenes is something we talk about a lot. What is that audience? What are they going to want? How are they going to want it? And I think that's why video is so important to Spotify right now. And they've been trying to crack it forever. You you embraced, you didn't embrace, you just sports betting was always part of what you did. Um, yeah. yeah. It wasn't embracing. It was in my DNA. It was your DNA. And I had no interest in it. I listened to so many guest the line shows. Uh, I had to figure out what you were talking about. It took me years to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and then obviously it's legalized two years ago and everyone now went from like ignoring it to bear hug There's a ton of, ton of money coming in you know 50 million dollars for levitar and john skipper you guys have fan duel deals but those are bad businesses right now they can't keep spending all that money they're trying to uh, you know do what netflix and the other streamers are doing to get market share so eventually i assume that money goes away or shrinks are you thinking about that i disagree i don't think the money goes away 
you think you think they'll continue to throw as much money as they are right now at, at you and other media companies? Well, I don't. I I mean, throw money around. I I would feel like we earn the money. We have uh-huh. a really good platform, and it makes sense. You know, we've always done really well with all those places dating back to the beginning of the ringer. I I think you're going to have to prove that you can differentiate yourselves in some way to keep getting the money. I think that's what's changed. I, I think, you know, it was it was a little like in 2015, FanDuel and DraftKings were in that holy war about yep. fantasy sports, right? And there was a six-month span where everyone was just throwing money around. And then it ended. And it was like, all right, who is going to now come out of this and still be able to make money. And then we saw how that played out. And I think the same thing with this, there's probably too many gambling companies right now. It's a little like the streaming universe, but on the flip side, it's not legal in California. It's not legal in Texas yet. It's not legal in half the States in the country yet. And, um, as that evolves, there's just going to be more money in play. And I think, um, I also think it's, it's just part of how people consume sports now. You know, it's way different than it was when Sal and I were doing Guess the Lines and we had to like teach people what we were doing and explain it the first year, explain the lines a little bit and stuff like that. Now it's like people are really, I think, I think, uh, what's the right word? Um, I'm, I'm blanking. People, people are versed in the gambling language now. I don't feel like they were 10 years ago. Do you think that finally there's still a line between like, we'll talk about it basically up until the game starts and then during the game, we kind of steer clear of it. But do you think that eventually just bleeds into the broadcast and they're talking about covering a spread, et cetera? I think it plays out like fantasy did where if they're trying, if you're trying to shoehorn in, shorthorn it in and it's not authentic, it just sounds awkward. Like remember that whole stretch with fantasy when, all these dudes were on there and they're like, Oh, be great to have him on your fantasy team. And it just, it just didn't work. I think from, from a gambling standpoint, part of like, part of the science of why the lines are the lines, why they moved future bets, things like that is actually really interesting. And it's stuff that we've done certainly on my podcast for a while where, um, cause that ties into narratives, things that people, think should be but maybe they shouldn't be i remember like the defensive player of the year we did a ringer gambling show about it i'm gonna say in like march and marcus smart was like 16 to 1 to win defensive player of the year and bam out of bio was the favorite and we had this conversation about it. we're like that's weird bam out of bio is gonna end up playing like 52 games the celtics have the best defense in the league like smart 16 to 1 that, those are crazy but it was organically we were talking about the perception that you know Bam was the best defensive player, but maybe he wasn't, and that Marcus was underrated. And I think that's the future of this stuff. And are you thinking through like, okay, mo- some of my audience is really into gambling, and they they're they're in for this, and some just want entertaining content, and they're not yeah. necessarily for. It, and so I need to balance that out, and I can't constantly be talking about spreads and long shots and odds. Yeah, I don't I don't feel like we do. I. I I mean, I've been doing that piece for so long. It's always organic to my podcast. We never try to shoehorn it in unless it's like a break or something like that. But for the most part, if we're talking about stuff, it, it is always tied to some sort of interesting angle, right? Like, why are the Chiefs the number two favorites in the NFL right now when they traded Tyreek Hill? And it seems like this could be, you know, a transition year for them or anything. And then that's a segment, things like that. I think the analytics are way better too. And just in general, like, I think that's really elevated the sports discourse, you know, like the stuff like second spectrum and 
the stuff that Warren Sharp does, the stuff that Haral Bob has when he comes on my podcast, the stuff that our Ringer NBA guys are using. And I think that stuff makes understanding basketball better. I've gotten really into men in blazers this year who you used to work with yeah. a lot back oh, in long the time ago, yeah. and, and they, I haven't talked to them about this, but they maybe once out of once an hour, they'll mention like some kind of stat, but almost the rest of it's totally anti-stat. Like it's all narrative kind of sports writery and like in a world where like Old data school. doesn't exist. Yeah. Does that, do you ever feel like, ah, oh, I'd like to go back to that era? Like where we weren't, where we weren't doing saber metrics and whatever the you know, money ball stuff was. I think soccer is a little bit easier to to feel that way. I think it, it it really hurt baseball. I look back at the first three years of my podcast, how much I talked about baseball and how much more fun it was to talk about baseball. And now everything has to be based in some sort of statistical thing, you know, and I, I just don't think it's that interesting to listen to. Um, I have trouble with it. Some people like it, but in terms of 20 years ago, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong. This is just the way it is. We would have... Maybe it was 22 years ago. These Jeter Nomar arguments pre-podcast where we would just argue and it was all eye test stuff. And however you felt, it was a little like if you're arguing now about is Steph Curry better than LeBron. We have that stats with this stuff, but there's still an eye test piece to the NBA that makes it more fun. The NFL and quarterbacks, it's another one. If you're saying is Russell Wilson a top 10 quarterback still, I can bring up stats, but I can also like do eye tests and I can bring up examples and there's not a definitive answer to it. You know, like we've seen this with the MVP where Trout would win the MVP and the Angels would win 74 games. And they were like, well, he had the best stats, so he's the MVP. And once that stuff starts happening, I don't, there's not a lot of places to go, you know? So I, I think it's definitely hurt baseball. Yeah, I tune out. And there was a period where you and your writing would start dropping in a lot of data blocks. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to scroll down. Yeah, and it, it was weird to write about baseball and not have to lean on the stats, you know? But that's... That's where we were. I think football, one of the reasons that football is so much fun is there's so much randomness to it. And season to season, even month to month sometimes, guys can go up or down. There's still some great stats. I use them, um, especially for gambling. I think they're really helpful. But um, but you can still have arguments like, all right, if Tom Brady was on the Saints instead of the Bucks, would he still be Tom Brady? And then you go, and now you're arguing for five minutes. I, I think it's tougher with other sports. And how does this data-centric view of the world apply to you or not apply to you world to running this this company um, in terms of, I like this podcast. Its numbers aren't really moving. At some point, I got to let it go. Or you know what? This is really good. We're just going to keep doing it. Or I want to talk about a movie from the 70s, but I don't think the audience is going to be there. But you, you have to serve an audience. I assume you go back and forth on that. I'm way less um, reliant on that than I think maybe some other people would be. I'd never want to know what my numbers are. I only want to know if they've like dramatically done something, but I don't look at them. Um, in terms of you know the the podcast network as a whole, obviously, if you have pods that aren't doing well, that's not going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. But I think you know. I'm trying to think of the right way to answer this. For ad sales purposes, it matters at least a little bit. You have to report this stuff really objectively. Where it's really helped us, and one of the reasons we want to go to Spotify was they have an incredible war chest of intelligence on the habits of people who listen to podcasts, right? So if we like a certain podcast, we can actually go and see you know, how many people are listening to it. If we feel like there's a piece of 
kind of turf available, then that can inform like who's in that turf, who's doing well, could we beat this? Could we have a bigger audience than this? Um, I think Derek Thompson's a good example, right? There was kind of that those smart podcasts that are kind so of tied Derek, to news yeah, events. Derek writes for the Atlantic and did a little bit of podcasting for them. Yeah, and he I think is one of the best writers right now. And, you know, always wanted to work with him, really liked him. I had him on my podcast a couple of times and he was really good and started to think like, all right, what what kind of podcast could we figure out? He told I think me he what, thought that was a tryout. Was that explicit in your mind? Like, I'm going to try him out, see how he is. Did he say that? Yeah, to me. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, I didn't feel that way. I just I thought he was interesting. I wanted to have him on. I have a ton of people on. I think after the pod that made me start to realize that guy's good. Like that would be cool if we had the pod, but the kind of pod that he was able to bring to us was a pod we didn't have. It's the things that he talks about. And sometimes he's in the moment reacting to stuff too, which works, but really smart, great guests. And a perfect example of like, if we're going to add a podcast to our network, does it bring something to us that we don't have? You've always been really good at, and, and your team about spotting talent, young talent, new talent, bringing them in. They go off and do mm. amazing things. Um, so I was talking to Wesley Morris about this. He'd already won Pulitzers, but you still managed to blow him up even bigger than that. Um, no, he didn't need any blowing up. He was great. He still helped. Is is assessing someone as a podcaster a different skill set than figuring out if they're a good writer, or is it just assessing talent and you're a good editor or not? Definitely a different skill set. I think... The people that succeed, we we bring some advantages, right? Like we have, I think, you know, this new thing now where people are like, I've started a network. It's it's way harder than just I've collected, a, you know, 10 podcasts and they're all next to each other. Like if you're really doing a network correctly, you've got to figure out how to raise awareness for a new podcast that you're doing or podcasts that you have, right? And I think at Grantland, we had nine of the 10 biggest pods at ESPN. Part of the reason was, we there was a connective tissue with all the pods, and I could promote them on my sure. my pod or our social feeds. But or also whatever. a sensibility, right? It's not just that. You yeah, they them. all made sense together in some way, and I, I think for us, when we're looking at bringing somebody in, it's like from a chemistry standpoint, do they seem like they make sense with us? Is it somebody like Wasney Lambry is a good example, right? He's he's somebody we've liked for a while. He just came in, he fit perfectly, right? He can pop where on you, my where podcast. Did you, where did you find him? Well, he was at the athletic, okay. but he had, he'd been, he'd been around for a few years and he was just really likable, but he came in and he just fit in seamlessly. Right. He was, he could pop on ringer NBA show. He could host shows. He does fashion stuff. He could do culture stuff. We've, he's been on prestige TV. He's been on rewatchables. So those type of people who it's like, I don't just have this specialty. I'm good at a bunch of stuff. I think are the people that dating back to the Grantland days we've we've always succeeded with. I don't, I personally don't think we've gotten enough credit for all the talent that we've either found or elevated. Um, I would, I would put our, the track record dating back to 2011 Grantland, all the people that have passed through our universe, just tell me who did better. Yeah. I, I talked to a lot of them because you're good at finding them. There was a thing a couple of years ago where the staff at the ringer, the writing staff said, Hey, we want to be on more podcasts where we're not getting our, our chance. And Bill's having his friends come on and what's up with that. And there was a New York Times story, and you had a quote yeah. there. You emailed them saying, this is not amateur hour. Is there any way you replay that and give more people from the staff a chance, or you made the right call? Well, I think the first couple of years, we were a startup. And when you're a startup, you're throwing stuff against the wall, and you're trying to survive. I think what we realized starting 2020 on is that we had to have the best possible people on all the all the 
best possible podcast. And that's how we did the mindset. Going back to the first couple of years, I just think we we were trying a bunch of things, you know, and would I do that, do it that way again? Yeah, in some ways, but in other ways I look back and I just don't think people realize how hard it is to start something from scratch and how many variables there are. Like we look back, we didn't have HR. We didn't have a single HR person, I don't think for the first 18 months of the company, or maybe it was like the first 20 months, something like that. Pretty standard for a startup. That seems crazy to me now. That should have been one of the first things we had, but it's a million things like that where you look back and you go, man, why do we do it that way? And I think for us, like we're just trying to keep getting better. I think, I think it was unfair to expect a company that had a digital media company that had been together for basically three years um, to do everything perfectly. There's certainly some things I would do over again, but ultimately, you know, we're in year six now. I think we've done a really good job. I mean, you think about, we've been profitable the whole time. We were one of the only digital media companies that didn't have any layoffs at all. We've continued to hire. Um, I'm really proud of the people we're hiring. I think from a diversity standpoint, we've done way better and we feel like we're continuing to do better and it's something that we continue to care about and we've continued to find talent. So, you know, six years in, am I proud of where we are? Yeah. So, like I said, you sold the company early 2020, right before the pandemic. Other than a lot of money, than $250 million, what, why why sell to Spotify? And, and walk me through how you went from not, not trying to sell the company to selling the company. Two things. One was um, we didn't need to sell. We never hired a banker. I wasn't sure when we would sell it, if we would sell, it wasn't like one of those things. This is you a know, company like, you bankrolled yourself mostly, right? HBO helped out. Yeah, HBO helped out a little. But you didn't bring, did you bring on other investors? I did not. Okay. So it's all you, your, your call. Well, pretty much. I think, I think we were looking at it like feeling like we were a mid-major in college basketball, that we could compete, we could get to the tournament, we could win some games. Maybe we could even make the final eight. But ultimately, we just, until we were aligned with somebody bigger, it just felt like it was going to be tougher for us to attract talent and retain talent. Not just talent on podcasts and writers and stuff like that, but people behind the scenes. Um, we were just having, um, there was this sense that I we could feel it. Like, uh, are those guys, are those guys going to be sticking around? What's going on with those guys? How are they funded? All that stuff. And um, I think when you're aligned with a big company, that stuff goes away. You know, and I think I look at just the infrastructure we have now from a hiring standpoint, HR, from a sales standpoint, all these things that we're able to take that stuff off our table so we could just concentrate what we're good at. That really helped us. So for me, competitively, I looked at Spotify, I looked at the trajectory of where I thought they were going, that I thought they had a chance to be the leader in audio. I knew how I felt about audio and, and all the opportunities there. And I felt like we were in pole position with it. And, um, or one of the people in pole position with it. And it just seemed like this makes sense. I feel like I'm catching these guys at the right time. The same way at ESPN in 2008-9 range as you know, ESPN was really becoming a powerhouse. I caught them at the right time. And that was what I was hoping would happen with Spotify. 
so I think word that like you guys were talking to them was out there maybe in the fall. Um, and if I heard about it, obviously people who would money would hear about it. Were other folks coming and saying, we go to go with us instead of Spotify. We'll, we'll match that offer. We'll beat that offer. We had, I mean, going back to 2018, I mean, 2017, we, we really had people kind of kicking the tires on us the whole time, but it, I just was, I was so determined to be my own boss and not have to work for somebody else. I just, after the spin experience, I just wanted to be on my own. I wanted to have my own thing. I wanted to be in charge of it. I wanted to be in charge of who, you know, who we hired, what we did and what deals we made. And that's what I wanted. And I had a great inner circle and that everyone is still part of the, you know, it's the same inner circle we've had for six years. And it was just really fun. I think you know, starting probably 2019 range, you start going, is there a ceiling on this? What are we going to look like two years from now? I mean, the pandemic, Jesus, uh, if we had been on our own for that, that would have been, you know, I think we would have been fine, but it's it was a lot easier to digest when we were part of Spotify. But the pandemic, the, the crazy thing about the Spotify part was we officially, the sale went through on March 1st. And then on like March 8th, they shut their offices down. And then March 11th was the Rudy Gobert game. Mm -hmm. So we, for the first two years, we hadn't met pretty much anyone we worked with. We were doing everything on Zoom. We weren't in an office. The office was a big part of like the spitball culture we had and things like that. Like that was gone. And just trying to navigate, how do we continue to do content? And now I look back, I'm like, holy shit, this was... We just do it on Zoom. Record on your ends. Like, get good mics. Why the fuck didn't we know this in 2018? It took, it, took, it took everyone a few months to figure it out. Oh my god, I was going into my office on Sunday nights to do the football pod with Kyle, and we I drive into the office and we tape it. I could have just done it at my house. So stuff like that, you look back and you go, man, how did we not know that? But on the other hand, I do think it set us back because we joined this big company and we were doing everything on Zoom, and then obviously some some people come and go and things like that. And by the time we're actually in the office, it's the, a lot of the people aren't even there from two years ago. We spent a long time working for Disney. You got fired. You went and built your own company. Now I didn't get work, fired. You, they did not renew your contract. They did which, not renew my contract. Which they announced in the New York Times before telling you. Yeah, because they were being dicks. So then now you are working for Spotify and Daniel Ek. Um, what did you learn from being an employee at Disney that's going to change the way you, you work for this company? Good question. Well, first, I'm older, which I think helps. I, I definitely look back at some of the... I'm not saying I was blameless in some of the ESPN stuff. I think if I had to do over an ESPN thing, I just... I don't know why I cared so much about some of the stuff, you know? Like, there are certain things. Grantland, the fact that they wouldn't give us more headcount, to me, is still indefensible because I don't look at back at what we created for those four years. It was like the genesis of something really special. It was, it was a digital multimedia site really before yep. there were a lot of those, you know? And it's like, damn, if they had just kept that and watered the plan on it, what would that have been worth now? I've had people that work there now in higher up positions who are like, I can't believe we fucked that up. But I think from... From my standpoint, like, yeah, I, I maybe shouldn't have cared so much that this happened or that happened or whatever. Should I have cared that we didn't have a social media editor for four years into the site? Yeah, I should have. Uh, but 
I think from a Spotify standpoint, I think just realizing that with a big company, sometimes things gets clumsy, things get clumsy. Sometimes this will happen. You have no control over it. Sometimes this person will leave and that sucks. Um, whatever that you just kind of have to ride it. It's like being on a huge boat and you just kind of never know what's going to happen when you're in control of your own stuff. You've, it's just, it just feels more serene, even though it's not, you have more responsibility and all that stuff. So much more stuff's out of your control with a big company. You have to learn how to deal with that. So what what is your job there now? Are you running the ringer and doing what you're doing before, except now you're on a, now you're an employee before you were your own boss, or are you doing additional stuff because you're at Spotify? Well, I'm, I'm running the ringer and then uh, now I'm running global sports for them. So, so what does that mean? That means we have to figure out a comprehensive sports strategy for audio and storytelling with other opportunities are popping up that aren't just domestic. And it's something that I've been helping them with the last two years, but I think we formalized it because we had to. Some of the other countries are behind from an audio standpoint, but um, you know, really trying to figure out some stuff that will elevate the company in a sports standpoint. We want to be the place that if if anybody is doing something sports related, if there's like a big personality or there's a big property or whatever, we'll be one of the people that come to. So is that budget and people? Do you have more, are you managing more stuff now or? Yeah, we're figuring that out now. It will be more stuff. And do you imagine like there's, you know, we keep having these conversations about when it's sports rights, when are they going to peak? They keep going mm. up, they keep going up. Is this something where you guys see, you can imagine like you're bidding for rights for audio or video for sports? Or do you think you're always going to be sort of commentating? I think audio definitely. Storytelling stuff, I think will be way more in the mix, especially, I mean, we already are to some degree with Ringer Films, but I think that's, there's some stuff that's coming that we're going to announce that I think people will be surprised by. And then, um, you know, I just trying to use some of the technology and use the platform that they're building and the giant Spotify audience, trying to leverage that in the right ways around the world. You think about like basketball and soccer and F1 and some of these sports, like who's me in Germany, right? Who's Rosillo in Brazil? Who's Kevin O'Connor in Australia? Mm-hmm. Like how can we find more people like that? I think the daunting part for me is I we can find talent in, in domestically, like we'll just always be able to do that. But how do we find talent abroad? How can we help some of those markets, you know, learn some of the stuff that we've learned and then execute them in their own ways. And then what are the opportunities? I think from a video standpoint, we've seen sports is just going nuts. You know, now that Amazon is in, in a big way, like Spotify, the video player isn't close yeah, but there there will be a point down the road when we'll be able to run live stuff on the video podcast player. And is that an ambition? Like we 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 we'd like to we'd like to broadcast a game, or you go, we're never going. Even though we're Spotify, we're never going to compete with Amazon or Apple or Tencent or whoever it is for for NFL rights. Well, for Spotify, it's not just sports. Obviously, music would be an even bigger mm-hmm. draw for that, right? So, if the technology gets to a place where you know. Could you watch day one of Coachella on Spotify? Could you watch, I don't know, the EuroLeague championships on Spotify, whatever? Um, can we get the technology to that point? When's that going to be? And maybe we won't. Maybe that. Maybe they'll just decide that's not what we want to do. But you think of all the ways the company's grown. The thing people forget about Spotify 
is they've only been in content since 2018. Like really, like in terms like making of- making their own stuff, yeah. Making their own stuff, buying companies, buying buying sales components, buying technology, all the stuff they've done, they weren't doing it in 2017, I don't think. So it's, this is year five. I think we're in pretty good shape. Like you think some of the purchases like Megaphone, things like that, um, and then some of the companies they bought and the talent that they've been able to bring in, I think uh, it's in a pretty good spot. Speaking of talent, they brought in Joe Rogan, um, yep. multiple blowups. I think during the biggest one, I, I was watching your pods pretty carefully on your side. I don't think you, I think Derek mentioned it once. And beyond that, you guys steered clear of it. Was that an edict from you? Like, let's just steer out of this? Or did Spotify say, st- stay out of Rogan? No edict. No, it's, it's, you know, there's 4 million podcasts now and Spotify has a bunch of them. And it's to us, I don't worry about stuff I can't control. Whatever Joe's going to say in his podcast, whether you agree with it or not, I don't really care. What about just covering it as a topic? Like this is something people are talking about. We did. We covered it on, I think we covered it on Pressbox. I think we covered it on Derek Thompson's podcast. I was fine with that. I, I think we've we've never shied away from stuff. I mean, we even going back to my podcast at ESPN, like I certainly wasn't afraid to talk about stuff that seem to overlap. I, I think the thing for us is we always just want to be fair with how we discuss it. I think uh, I think we were. How much longer are you at Spotify? You sold two years. Usually when you sell a startup, it's like a four-year deal. Yeah, I have a couple of years left. Yeah. Do you, And what, what happens after that? Do you stay on as an employee? Do you have an itch to make a new thing? I don't know. I, I haven't thought about it and I'm not going to worry about it because I feel like um, we've grown, we've been able to grow the ringers so much. And I'm so proud of like all the people we have and especially the way some of the people behind the scenes have really grown and taken on more stuff. Um, And then from a Spotify standpoint, like to even think about it when we're just going back in the office, like we had, we had a manager's meeting on Monday and we had, I think like 30 people in our office all together, people that work for us, right? We have like a hundred and I don't know, 50 employees, 140 employees at this point or 150 people in our universe. And that was the first time we'd had more than like, at least that I'd been there, that we'd had more than like 10 people in the office since like March, 2020. So it's hard for me to think about what's next when I I don't even feel like we've had a fair chance at just having a normal office and whole organizational situation. So hopefully that'll go back to normal. And then I think, I want to see how the next year goes for us. A lot of people who are writers get promoted into management. It turns out they're terrible at management. They were really good at being writers and they shouldn't be managers. Yeah. Do you like being a manager? Does that make you happy? I really like, I mean, at this point, I'm pretty up there now. So I have like the inner circle, right? I did love the, Grantland, I really did like it. I think we had a smaller company obviously and i really felt and it was a different era too um you know we probably had i don't know 35 40 people 42 people i don't remember what the final thing was but um i felt like we were all you know we we were just trying to push a rock uphill that whole time but i was really proud of what we did and i think as as you get older and i think social media has made some of this stuff more complicated too there's probably just more stuff that pops up now um, but I still like the idea of like, can we create something from scratch? Can we, can we maintain it? Can we water the plant? Can we, can we keep getting better? Can we keep innovating? And I think from an innovation standpoint, that's the part I like the most. Like 
I never want to be in the same spot that I was six months ago with anything I'm doing. And I still feel like, like ringer films and things like that, like our video podcast stuff, like we're at a real position of strength now with the, with the podcast network and the website. Like, I just feel like across the board, we just have such good people now. So now when we think about adding anything to that, it's like, is this person really good? And it, and it re I was saying to somebody last week, it really reminds me of the spot we hit at Grantland in 2014, where it just felt like a lot of people wanted to work for us. And we had just hit this, I, I can't, this cool checkpoint where it was like, people knew what we were. Everybody really liked working for us and we were doing really good stuff. And uh, people from the outside wanted to be part of that. And I feel like that's happening again. Last question. Who is your dream podcast guest you haven't had? You have the I president. mean, it's it's David Letterman that's always going to be the answer. I he think seems, uh, he seems available now. I know. Like he I, does stuff. It's weird. I'd almost be afraid to ask because I wouldn't want to fuck it up, but I think I'd be nervous. The only time I, I really had like nervous energy for a podcast was Larry Bird, which we did in person in Indiana. And it was funny because I did... Uh, I did an Obama podcast in the mm -hmm. White House, I think within probably a month, one way or the other with that. And I was way more nervous for, for Bird. I just want to screw it up. So I think with Letterman, there's so much to ask. And it's, it's really tough to interview somebody who meant a lot to you. Mm -hmm. I'd feel the same way. Like Eddie Murphy would be another one. He would never do the podcast. But the people that I grew up who just had this profound influence on me, Kimmel... Kimmel goes the other way. Kimmel like befriends everybody that he loved when he was a kid. <laughs> he's friends with Huey Lewis and Letterman and Howard Stern, all these. He's gone a whole other way. I'm still, when I meet people like that, I, I still, still feel like I've become Marley a 14 year old. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I'm a 14 year old again. So I think the Letterman thing would be a good challenge for us. All right. I, I want to hear the Letterman interview because I really like his Netflix interviews, uh, especially that Chappelle one, which is great. So I think you do a good job. Thank you. And with that, I'm going to let you go. Thank you, Bill Simmons. Wait, I have a question wait, for wait. you. Okay, I'll answer a question. When we did, what was the one we did where we wrote about, it was like two months before I left ESPN and I did that interview with you, wasn't it? South that by was Southwest? At, it was at South by, yeah. yeah. And we resulted. did an interview about podcasts. Yep, I, I watched you interview Horatio Sands, who was really high. <laughs> he was right. very high. What was your perception of where my head was at at that point? You were fuming. With Grantland. Did you, you feel like I was like on my way out? Yeah, yeah. You you were fuming, you could tell, but you were still you were trying to play it and you were very caught you were very concerned about the way ESPN was gonna treat you, but also your staff. That was a big concern. And also so you were I don't think you were hundred percent sure, but I also talked to Jimmy because he was doing something at South by too. And I talked to him about you and he said, Oh, he's leaving. I said, well, I, I don't know that he is. He says he doesn't. Not sure. He goes, no, no, he's leaving because Disney treats their talent like shit. By the way, he's still working for Disney, but he was convinced you were out. Yeah, I, I deep down was convinced, but I still I had such I had such ties to some of the people we had that I, it I still felt like near the end that is there some way to save this? Even though I was like ninety percent out the door, but I think I've been vindicated by some of the other exits. I think it worked Since. out, and, and you've had Bob Iger on your podcast, and John. Yeah, it's, it match. all worked out. It was probably time for me to go, and um, you know, it was what it is. But I remember, like, when I did that interview with you, I was so mad because it was—I think it was right after we found out, like, we just weren't getting any more headcount, and I just felt like the site—I didn't feel like it was sustainable. The the how hard everyone was working, I could see that was the first time I was like, we no, we were, you were. 
you pretty much had steam coming out of yours. Remember, we were like wandering around the Four Seasons trying to find a space to do the interview, and we finally sat down. And you just yeah, on me. It's great. Yeah, it was. It was. It was weird that they didn't see what we had going, but I think they do now. At least they figured it out. Thank you, Bill Simmons. Thanks, Peter. <laughs>